for being with us tonight, Miss. Amen, amen. Thank you for each of you for being in God's house today. You chose to be here. It means so much to me. I felt like I had wonderful liberty to preach this morning and uh, on such an important subject of what really matters. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. And Tommy said amen. Amen. Don't you hush him, Brother Tim. Amen. See Brother Tim back there. He's always just let him praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, this is our 20th message, Sunday nights on the Psalms, and I hope you've been enjoying them as much as I have. I I truly have uh, been enjoying going through. Last week, we looked at the uh, subject of worship or ingredients of genuine worship from Psalm 95, Come Let Us Worship Him, and uh, Pastor Alex stole my thunder uh, by singing a Christmas song in July. Ryan, I think it's personally ungodly, amen, and uh, that's why I don't do it, and, uh, but he thought it would be funny, and I fired him on Monday, and then rehired him on Tuesday, so amen. But we looked at Psalm 95, what are some ingredients or components of genuine worship? Singing, singing, amen, thank God for churches who sing. Amen. Thank God for Christians who sing. I like what Al Smith said, uh, that great songwriter wrote the, uh, compiled the living hymns. He said, people that can sing and won't sing ought to be sent to sing, sing, and made to sing. I like that. Amen. And uh, just sing it. By the way, it doesn't matter if you can sing well. Sing because you know that He is worthy of your singing. And then we talked about thanking in Psalm 95 Uh, Verse number 2, it not only tells us to sing, but it says, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. That's not just the fourth Thursday in November. Thanksgiving is, by the way, I said it last week, but gratitude is the seedbed of the Christian life. You you want that that song the girls just sang? You You want a good view of Christ as Lord? I'll tell you what, you start thanking Him for what He's done in your life. And He'll become a Lord, amen, very, very soon. So, thanking, singing. We talked about bowing, verse number 6 of Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. There's humility there. And, and again, humility is actually really simple when you get to looking at the Bible. He's God and you're not. You get, you get that down... You'll be just fine as far as humility goes, amen, because you realize that God is everything. He spake it all into existence. He holds my very life and breath in His hands. I certainly should bow before Him. So bowing, thanking, singing, practicing. Psalm 96 verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that is living holy lives. Amen. Working out our Christianity. And then we talked about also in verse 9, it says, uh, fear before Him all the earth. Not only singing, thanking, bowing, practicing, but fearing. Psalm 96 verse 9. We'll have to fear the Lord. We're going to talk about that again tonight. And then we looked in the New Testament when Jesus over and over talked to the woman at the well and they discussed the subject of worship. He said this, they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know what that means? From your heart, but also with a head saturated with the Word of God. Amen. And so important, genuine worship. So uh, we're looking this week at Psalm chapter 97. And 
If you haven't figured this out by now, I'm sure you have actually because you're sitting there uh, with a Bible in your lap, but words matter. Words communicate ideas. Words communicate thoughts. Consider these words, which many of you will recognize from your early civics classes. Young people, pay attention. This may be the first time you've heard these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You may not recognize the end of this, but in this preamble, Uh, of the Declaration of Independence, it says this, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. You know what those are? Those are the words of the Declaration of Independence, and they are the words that inspired troops to stand at Valley Forge in the snow with no shoes. Brother Mike, words did that. Words. Oh, I think about this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain to establish this Constitution of the United States. You know, I think about that First Amendment of the Constitution. For those of you that follow the Supreme Court, uh, it was a very good year as far as Supreme Court cases go. I've endured some very bad years where I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe. But this year, you know what? A lot of it was about First Amendment cases, the right of free speech. By the way, free speech is unpopular speech many times. Sometimes we don't like the words people say, but in America you still get to say them. Amen. Words matter. How about this one? Didn't know it was going to be a civics class tonight. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war. Testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure the Gettysburg Address. Steady the nation during a time of civil war. How about this? I love this. The men of Normandy had faith that what they were doing was right. They fought for all humanity. Faith that a just God would grant them mercy on this beachhead On the next, it was the deep knowledge, and pray God we have not lost it, that there is a profound moral difference between the use of force for liberation and the use of force for conquest. Ronald Reagan said that at the 40th anniversary of D-Day. Think about this. I just go through this thinking about words and how words matter. You know, 
we're a culture that doesn't read as much as we used to. A little, much, a little too much time in front of the screen, a little too much time in front of the, the video games and all that. But uh, I'll tell you, I think about novels that I have read that have moved me. Think about different books I've read. Uh, uh, just just my, my daughter and I were traveling and we were listening to a radio production of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. And uh, just, just the tremendous story. It, it, it moves. Words do that, ladies and gentlemen. Words do that. The Bible, obviously, is a book that is full of words. By the way, for those of us that love this old King James Bible, thank God that they had the sense to simply translate it one word at a time. Not what they thought the thoughts were, but what the words said. Thank God for these words. Hey, I don't know about you, I've doubted my salvation a time or two. Brother Lolly, you know what I do? I go right back to Romans 10, 13, where the words say this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This week we were discussing eternal security in our Sunday school class. I'm so glad I could go to the words that God has given us, where it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. According to the Word of God itself, the Bible tells us uh, in Proverbs 15.23 that there are timely words. It tells us in Proverbs 25.11 there are proper words. A word fitly spoken is like apples of silver and pitchers of silver. There are kind words. Remember when Joseph's brothers came after Jacob died and, and Joseph, uh, they, they said, finally, he's got it. Dad's gone. He's going to kill us. And he said, the Bible says this, and he said, be not afraid. He said, God meant it for good. And then the Bible says this, Brother Jim, and he spake kindly to them. Aren't you glad for a time in your life where you felt like maybe you didn't say anything, but you needed a kind word from somebody. And somebody came along and said a, a kind word. Kind words, proper words, timely words. Oh, the Bible says there are gracious words. Remember that when Jesus spoke for the first time as an adult, he was in the synagogue, he read uh, Isaiah chapter 61, and he sat down. It says they all marveled at the gracious words which he spake. About there are moving words, Ecclesiastes 12:11 tells us, uplifting words, uh, Isaiah 50 verse four. But by the way, there are some negative examples too. Those are all very positive examples of words. You know, when I think of negative examples of word, I think of the history of World War II. Anybody remember Adolf Hitler used to get up and, and do the Nuremberg speeches, and they, they showed films of people that were just absolutely mesmerized. I believe it was demonic personally, but what did he do? He used his words to stir up hatred in people and, and strife and all that. So there are grievous words, Proverbs 15.1 says. Hasty words, Proverbs 19.20 says. Uh, stout words, when you argue with God, Malachi 3.13. Enticing words, Colossians 2.4. Flattering words, 1 Thessalonians 2.5. Feigned words or insincere words, 2 Peter 2, 3. Swelling words, 2 Peter 2, 18. And then malicious words, hurtful words, evil words, 3 John 10. By the way, just by way of passing an introduction, we ought to be careful with our words. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's what words can do. They can tear down or they can build up. We also ought to be discerning regarding the words of others. I think of much propaganda that we are inundated with, ladies and gentlemen, all has to do with words. We heard it for a month, the month of June, that love is love. Uh, maybe not. Uh, I've seen signs that say, hate has no home here. And, and on, on the surface, that sounds great. When you think about it, Years ago, my friend Pastor Marty Schott, who's been the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church in New Hartford, Connecticut for almost 40 years, I'll never forget when he said this, uh, false teachers and apostates have the same vocabulary, but they use a different dictionary. You know what that means? They use the same words, but they don't mean the same things. Psalm chapter 97, we're going to come back to this thought here, but Psalm 96 uh, if you look at it with me, verse 13 closes with a great verse. Psalm 96, verse 13. Look at it there with me. And it says, Before the Lord, or really, verse 12, let, us be, let the field be joyful, all that is therein. Then all shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for He cometh, for He cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with His truth. So Psalm 96 ends with the coming of the Lord. Psalm 97 begins with the reign of the Lord, the rule of the King. By the way, we're one day closer, one week closer to the return of the Lord. Aren't you glad? You should be on the inside. If you're living right, if you're trying to serve the Lord, you should be looking forward to His coming. Now, when we have sin in our lives, when we're doing things that we know we ought not to, we're hoping He doesn't come. Because the Bible says we'll be ashamed if that's us. But here we, we, we look at several things, and again, I'm just going to hit these and run, and we'll get into our message tonight. But we notice the reign of the Lord in verse number 1 uh, of, of Psalm 97. Look at that verse there. It says, the Lord reigneth. You know, when He comes, He's not coming as a babe in a manger. He's coming as a conquering king, ladies and gentlemen. He is coming to rule and to reign. So the reign of the king is in verse 1. But then in the reign of the Lord, and then in verses 1 and 8, we see the rejoicing in the Lord. Verse, look at verse 8. It said, Zion heard and was glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you. So many times in this life, my heart is grieved by, by improper government, by immoral government, by ungodly government. Hey, when Jesus comes, we're going to rejoice. That He's finally here and He's finally got it all under control. Now, I know He's got it under control, amen. But here He's going to be and we're going to rejoice. So there's the reign of the Lord, the rejoicing in the Lord. And part of that rejoicing is connected 
with the righteousness of the Lord, or the reasons, really, you could look at it. But we see, uh, it says in verse 2, clouds and darkness are round about Him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. The fire goeth before Him, and He burneth up His enemies round about. Nobody has to be an enemy of God. He is willing to be their friend. That is why Jesus came, to make peace. But for those who refuse, the end is not good. His lightnings enlighten the world. I don't know how many of you saw that the other night, but uh, during the night there was that massive heat lightning kind of going all around. Brother Lolly, I, I was laying in the bed and there it is, just lighting up the whole. You just imagine when he comes and lightning all around him. It says it's going to light up the earth. And he goes on, he says, verse 6, the heaven declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images when he comes, amen, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you got. So the righteousness of the Lord, the rejoicing in the Lord, the reign of the Lord. And really, verse 10, we see the responsibilities to the Lord. The responsibilities to the Lord. He, he really gives three here, and we're going to focus on one in particular. But the first thing he tells us to do, tells his children to do, is love the Lord. Love the Lord. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? That is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So he tells us to, to love the Lord in verse 10. Then in verse uh, number uh, 12, uh, he, he goes down and he says to rejoice in the Lord. We've already covered that in, in our introduction, but ladies and gentlemen, we, if you're saved, you should rejoice in the Lord. Not just because you're going to heaven one day, but how about because you'll never go to hell and you do deserve to go. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in His goodness in your life. Uh, I saw a dear lady that used to be a member of this church, Jennifer Blanc. He said, I can't remember how many 5Ks she's run this year, six or seven. Uh, just incredible to think about. And, and she was, you know, I was rejoicing for her that she has the health to be able to do that. Hey, we live in America. You ought to rejoice right there. Full cupboards. Amen. God's been good. Rejoice in the Lord. So he tells us to love the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, and then really at the end he says to give thanks unto the Lord. But I want to zone in, if we could, on verse number 10. It says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. We live in a day, in a society... We are where we are conditioned to always love and never hate. The problem are those pesky definitions of the words. See, the world defines love like this it means to approve and to accept any and all conduct, no matter what. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? That is not biblical love. I do understand that the Bible says a lot about love. Jesus Christ came, so loved the world. I do understand that the Bible says love your enemies, love your neighbor. I get that. But that definition just doesn't hold biblical muster. And then the world defines hate 
as an outdated product of judgmental moralists that needs to just go away. And again, here's what I would say to those who redefine love and hate. Here's what the Bible says. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Amen. And so, I want to look tonight at reactions concerning evil and just give you a simple outline. It's all D's uh, tonight. And uh, reactions concerning evil. Because it says here, it tells us, ye that love the Lord. And I think most of us would say, you know, I love the Lord. I try to love the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I, I, I try to live my life for Him. I try to read His Word. I try to pray. I try to tell others about Him. I think I try to love the Lord. And here's what God says, do you hate evil? Because I believe that this verse gives us proportional love. You know, you can't have love without hate. It's that pendulum swing, right? The more you love flowers, the more you'll hate weeds. And all God's gardeners said. <laughs> you, can't, you can't love flowers and say, oh, look at those beautiful weeds choking my petunias. Nobody says that, amen? Because if you truly love the flowers, you will hate the weeds that destroy the flowers. Hey, listen, I think about the wheat and the tares growing up, the parable of the wheat and tares. Listen, God loves the wheat, but He doesn't love the tares. He loved the tares enough to, to die for them, but the Bible calls them the children of the devil. So let's look at it. The first thing, the first reaction that people have concerning evil is they disregard evil, number one. They disregard evil. These are the people that contend there is really no such thing as good and evil. And, and listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is abject foolishness. These are for people who do not live in reality. You look around, and I, I remember uh, every time I think, uh, and I'm not going to mention any tonight, but every time I think I've heard the most evil act ever perpetrated on the news, something else comes up. I just finished a book uh, earlier this year, I, I try to read at least 12 to 18 books a year, and I don't always succeed, but I like history, many of you know that, and I read a very little-known event in history called The Rape of Nanking, and it's what the Japanese did to the Chinese before World War II, and they went into the city, and some of the acts they did were so repulsive, they made the Holocaust look like a Sunday school class. And just when I think that man couldn't sink any lower or be more evil, something else comes along. So, but some people disregard evil. They said, oh, there's no such thing as good and evil. For, frankly, at that point, Brother Stark, I'd like to just punch those people right in the nose and say, now, how was that? Was that good or evil? Amen. But I just can't do that because the Bible says you're not supposed to be a striker if you're a pastor, but I want to be sometimes. Disregard evil. Secondly, and this is really the day that we live in, and it's sad in the world, but it's even more sad within professing Christendom. And that is there are people who defend evil. Not only disregard evil, there are people who defend evil. Again, we've been in the book of Jude for literally years. Jude, the, the key verses in Jude are, are twofold. One is positive, one is negative. The key verses are verses 3 and 4. 
Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you, to exhort you, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's the positive. Hey, take this book, learn it, love it, bring it to a world, and defend it. But then it says this. The reason why God wants us to defend the faith is that certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Again, we've just finished June, and thank the Lord it's over. I'm telling you, you know what that is? Literally, people that, that you see these, these flags, these rainbow flags all the way around, it is just simply defending evil. It's defending it. It's saying, I'm an ally. It's somebody, are you an ally? My goodness, no. You, you don't want me for an ally. You really don't. Listen, I think about 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, of course, right next to Jude is 2 Peter chapter 2. And those first three verses, they're so powerful in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's really the sister of Jude, but I think about what it says in regards to evil. It says, but there were false prophets among the people, then even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken. These are the modern day apostates and false prophets who encourage people into sin. So there are people who disregard evil. There are those who defend evil. I think it's important, thirdly, to define evil. To define evil. What is evil? I'll tell you what evil is when you think about it. It's actually pretty easy. It's that which purposefully displeases God. I heard somebody years ago say, all evil is sin, but not all sin is evil. We have sins that we commit by accident, by mistake, not even knowing him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There are sins of commission and sins of omission, but then there are sins of evil where evil is perpetrated. That which purposefully displeases God. Webster says, having moral qualities which are bad, wicked, corrupt, perverse, evil thoughts, evil deeds, evil speaking. So disregard evil, defend evil, define evil. I think, ladies and gentlemen, probably as we look through the Scriptures here, I think it's important to discern evil. To discern between good and evil. I've mentioned many times, I, I've been for over two years now writing a, a daily devotional for my boys on an index card. And we started in Proverbs chapter 1, and today we're in Proverbs chapter 15, after two and a half years. It's been about 800 devotions, Brother Jeff. It's been great for me, personally. But I think about my boys. One of the things I've said over and over and over in there is, boys, learn to discern. Learn to discern. Learn to recognize the difference between that which is good and that which is evil. Let's, let's look at this, this idea of recognizing evil. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 4. And really, if you, you kind of want what it 
really is in regards to the message tonight is find out what God hates. Find out what God hates. The only way to do that is in the Word of God. Get into your Bible, dig it out, look where it says God hates this or God abhors this or this is an abomination to God. But look, if you would, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And look with me there in verse number 14, please. It says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of what? Evil men. So he tells us, don't, don't go. But then he takes the time to tell us a little bit about how to recognize them. He says there in verse 15, Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Boy, that's some pretty stout language right there. Don't even go near it. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. There's a way to recognize evil. And their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. Another way to discern evil. For they eat the bread of wickedness, a, a way to discern evil. And they drink the wine of violence, but the path of the just is as a shining light, and shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble down. To verse 26, ponder the path of thy feet, let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil. Go over to Proverbs chapter 6, probably the most famous passage on what God hates. I think we know this passage. It's important for us to know this passage. It's important to know that our God hates some things. He says here in verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Oh, you're not supposed to hate. I, hey, listen, I get you don't want to throw that word around with your kids. I remember when you know, kids say, I hate that. It's broccoli. You don't hate it. You just don't want to eat it. Amen? You know, don't, don't say hate when it comes to mom's cooking, please. Or you'll be eating it for the rest of your life. Oh, wait, you have to eat it for the rest of your life. Anyway, uh, no, but you understand what I mean. You don't want to just throw that word around, but it, it is a Bible word. And if God hates something, then we ought to take note of what it is. Because ye that love the Lord hate evil. So in chapter 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, we talked about that last month. Pride, God hates pride. What else? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, there's murder. A heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that be swift, running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm thankful for our church. I mentioned in men's prayer that we're, we're so blessed to be part of a family. God help you if you sow discord in the local church. You got a problem with somebody, go to them or shut your mouth. And all God's people said, because God, I'm telling you, you do not want to get on God's hate list. He hates that. Even amongst God's people, especially of those who know Him not. But God's people can engage in this stuff and destroy a good thing that God is doing. 
So discerning evil, Proverbs 6. How about Proverbs 8? Where really what we're doing here is just kind of looking at some things, encouraging you to maybe do your own study of what God hates. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. We talk about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. Amen. What does it say here about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then it lists some evil things. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way. In the froward mouth, God said, do I hate. Oh, we could go on. Of course, again, you can look up the word abomination. A false balance is abomination. Uh, defrauding somebody out of what's rightfully theirs monetarily. God calls that abomination. Lying lips are abomination. Of course, obviously, sexual perversion is abomination. He goes on and on to discuss that. But, you know, Christians, there's only one way to discern evil. Find out what God says is evil. And then... Not only do we say disregard evil, there are those who disregard evil, there are those who defend evil, we should define evil, we should discern evil, but according to our text in Psalm 97.10, we should detest evil. Again, to me this really has to do with the positive more than the negative. The positive is love the Lord. The more you love the Lord, the more you'll hate evil. It's just a simple fact. But I remember when I got saved, and I've told my testimony before, I was 23 years old, I was a drummer in a heavy metal band, had long hair, and I remember the more, when I got saved, and I remember God just doing this incredible work in my life, and wearing out a path to the altar on Sunday night, and I just remember the, the more I got to loving the Lord, the further I got away from that lifestyle that I was once a part of. It's, it's really, if you think about it, it's, it's just simple physics. If I'm going this direction, I can't be going in this direction. If I'm loving the Lord more and more, I'm going to be hating evil. Detest evil. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12.9, it's really the sister verse of Psalm 97.10, Romans 12.9, Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. One of my favorite writers through the years has been a preacher named Graham Scroggie. Graham Scroggie pastored Spurgeon's church during World War II when they were having the Blitzkrieg. How'd you like to have services that day? You know, and you're leading singing. And Graham Scroggie said this. He said, true love is not present where there is no moral recoil from evil. It's 100% right. Listen, there are, time, listen there, there are times where we pet sins in our lives and we coddle those sins, and you know why? It's because we don't love the Lord like we should, period, and all God's people said. But if we love the Lord, we should detest evil. Get to loving the Lord, you'll get to hating evil. So dis, some people disregard evil, some people defend evil. We need to define evil, we need to discern evil. We should detest evil. Hey, ladies and gentlemen... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times this phrase is used in the Bible. We need to depart from evil. Depart from evil. That's Job 28, 28, Psalm 34, 14, 
Psalm 37, 27, Proverbs 3, 7, Proverbs 13, 19, Proverbs 16, 6, Proverbs 16, 17. Every one of those verses says, depart from evil. It talks about the wise departing from evil, and it talks about fools. For fools, it's an abomination for them to depart from evil. They literally look at that, oh, I can't do that, I can't depart from evil. Oh, that's awful. Christian, the best, best way to hate evil is just stick, steer clear of it. Amen. No, I'm not, I'm not, not doing that, not, not going there. Again, uh, you know, I think about the last time I was in a bar. And you know what? Here's what I know. There are some good people that try to go drink their sorrows away at a bar. But for me, there's just a lot of evil there. And that's what it was. It was an evil. I just, you know, I can't go there anymore. I'm just not going to go there. I remember clearing my fridge from from booze and whatnot and thinking, you know what, I want to love the Lord. And I realize what this does in people's lives. I'm getting rid of it. And there got to be a holy hatred of it and what it does. Not the people. Not the people. But hate evil is what it says. So depart from evil, detest evil, discern evil, define evil, defend evil. Some people defend evil. Some people disregard evil. What about those who... Don't hate evil. I'm talking about Christians. What about Christians that don't depart from evil? You know what happens to them? Lastly, they get destroyed by evil. And there is an example in the Bible of that. It's an easy one. It's the example of Lot. Remember what God first said about Sodom? It's in Genesis 13, 13, he said, The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And Lot went down there and he pitched his tent in Sodom. And he, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, he gave his daughters to the Sodomites and then offered his virgin daughters to the Sodomites. You know what happened to his whole life, his whole family, his, his sons-in-law and his daughters and perhaps his grandchildren, they all got swallowed up in the destruction of Sodom. He ends up in a cave with his daughters, commits incest with them unknowingly, and gives birth to two ungodly nations. Listen to me. You may think, well, I can handle it. I, 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 I can handle it. No, you can't either. You will be destroyed by evil. So don't play with it. Don't pet it. Again, the old, how many of you remember the children's Bible hour? Old Uncle Charlie, Amen. Uh, they're out of Grand Rapids. And I remember when, when our kids were little, we listened to the story of the little boy on the farm who found a snake. And his mother said, you go take a shovel and you kill that thing. And the little boy thought it was just so cute, just a little tiny snake. I don't think personally, I don't know how anyone could find any snake cute. Brother Hutchins, I was mowing the other day. I came by the, the wood pile, and they're garter snakes. They're good. They, you know, they eat rodents and stuff. But that's, that, he slithered, and I went, yeah, amen. I was like, nothing cute about that. This little boy thought this snake was cute, and he kept it in a box out in the barn, and he had a puppy that he loved. And sure enough, months later, the snake popped out of the box, bit the puppy, and the puppy died. Why? Because he didn't destroy evil, and evil destroyed him. He didn't detest evil, which is what that snake was, represented, amen? 
He didn't depart from evil. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we can't disregard evil. It's all around us. Amen? And if you're a Christian, you certainly shouldn't defend evil in all God's people said. We need to define evil, willingly transgressing against what God has said. We, listen, we need to discern what's evil, what's good. Look at God's Word and see what He calls evil and steer as clear from it as you can. We need to depart from evil. We need to detest evil or we will be destroyed by it. It's a woeful word. Nobody likes the word. But ye that love the Lord hate evil. Hate it. Don't hate people. Hate evil. Lord,